don't know what happened in your week last week, but I know something happened. You had opportunities in your week last week to speak up for Christ, to model the character and love of Christ, to live in a way that would influence people for Christ. Everyone in this room had that opportunity. Even if you're not a Christian, if you've never asked the Lord to forgive your sins and be your Savior, you still had that opportunity. You could have started on Monday trusting Christ as your Savior and then living the rest of the week following Him. So uh, we're doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're doing a mini-series within the bigger series on, and this mini-series is on the high standard of grace, the high standard of grace. And today we're focusing on grace and community, how God's grace and, and how Jesus raised the standard from don't murder to don't have hatred in your heart, from don't commit adultery to don't lust after people. And now he's given, he's raised the standard again in these verses in Matthew chapter 5. And sometimes people divide their lives into the spiritual and the secular. So being here this morning, what would that be? Spiritual. Going to work tomorrow, what would that be? Secular. That's the way some people look at it. Now, how does Jesus look at it? Being here, what's that? Spiritual. Going to work on Monday, what's that? Spiritual. It's still spiritual. It's even spiritual when you have to go to the dentist and you hear that sound that, you know, and I used to have dental phobia. And then I had a friend. I found out his wife was a dentist. Now I go see my friend when I go to the dentist. It's not so stressful. Uh, it was just awkward for me to sit there and cry and Kathy hold my hand. It's okay, honey. So It's nice I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, but there is no secular side. There are secular people, those who have not trusted Christ, or even those who have professed a faith in Christ but aren't living for him. There are secular, secular behaviors, but there's no secular side of life. It's all spiritual. And Jesus wants his followers to live with integrity and not the integrity of, you know, he's an honest man, so he has integrity. I like the way that, um, I should have written his name down, Henry Cloud. I like the way he described integrity, and I even had a quote from his, his book on integrity. One of his definitions of integrity is the condition of being unified, unimpaired, or sound in construction. And he said unification is the opposite of compartmentalization. In compartmentalization, it's not all working together. We've seen that in some businesses. You know, the research and development side isn't working with the accounting side, isn't working with the manufacturing side or the sales side, or, and, and it's all just a mess. We see that in the government. We see that in our own lives sometimes. We compartmentalize so that when you're here at church and, and something good happens to somebody, your natural reaction might be, oh, praise the Lord, when they share, you, share with you and tell you something great happened to their way. You might say, oh, praise the Lord. But if you're on work on Tuesday and some person comes up and shares with you some blessing, your natural response might be, oh, that's cool. And not, oh, praise the Lord, because you have compartmentalized. You have the brain set for work and the brain set for church, and Jesus wants you to bring those brain sets together. He wants your analytical side and your creative side to fit together. He wants all of you to be spiritual and to respond to life from a spiritual perspective. So Jesus gives us Three standards for this kind of integrity, this kind of wholeness that he wants us to have. And by the way, these are not the only standards he has. They're just the three we're going to look at this morning. You have your Bibles? Look in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start down in verse number uh, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Pause right there a moment. When Jesus uses that phrase, he's referring to some of the Old Testament teaching and some of the rabbinical teaching. 
because some of the things he says aren't exactly what the Old Testament said, but that's what the rabbis were teaching for generations. So you have heard what has been said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Isn't that an amazing concept? The earth is his footstool. It's, it, he's trying to describe the awesomeness of God. Now, I have, at a couple of times in my life, been in the presence of really big people. I one time was in a hotel in Dallas when the Cowboys, Randall Cunningham was the quarterback for Philadelphia. And he was in Dallas for a game, and, and we had a meeting in a hotel in North Dallas. And I turned around, I was talking to somebody, and I turned around and plowed right into Randall Cunningham. And we grabbed onto each other to keep ourselves from falling over. And suddenly we were surrounded by the biggest human beings I've ever seen in my life. All of these guys towered over me. And all of them were huge. And there was no body fat. These were just great, big, huge guys. And one of the first things Randall said, I'm okay, guys. I was really <laughs> glad he said that. I was really glad I didn't hurt. And then one of the guys in our church the next day said, you ran into Randall Cunningham? Why didn't you break his thumb? I said, you don't understand where I was. And anyway, they were huge guys. I was in the Marine Corps gym once, and the women's basketball team was on there. And I was the shortest person in the gym. Most of the women were 6'8 or taller. Three of them were over 7 feet tall. They were dunking behind their head. I slipped out the side door. And... So we, we understand big people sometimes. If the average person stood next to Shaquille O'Neal, they would look like a child standing next to an adult. But God is awesomely big. So big to figuratively describe his size, they called earth his 24,000 mile ottoman. His footstool. God is awesome. And Jesus wants us to understand the awesomeness of God. So he says, don't swear by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. It was the city of King David. It was the city of the king when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. 36, uh, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, okay, today we can by using artificial dyes, but you can't make it naturally white or black. Now, your kids can make your hair naturally white, but you can't. Okay, verse 37. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, let's pause right here. Here's the, the big picture, I mean the big bracket. Truthful. He wants you to be truthful. That's Jesus' plan in your life. Can you pop that up? I like this picture. The guy's reaching out and touching truthful. That's what Jesus wants you to do. There's a standard that he has. And he said, don't go below this standard. Now, uh, the old Jewish standard. Take your Bibles, please. If you can, turn to Deuteronomy or click over to Deuteronomy, whether it's a, a, a digital Bible. <coughs> Deuteronomy... <coughs> Chapter 23. It's the fifth book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy and the 23rd chapter. So we're looking at what has been said of old time. Here's instruction that God gave for Israel. Who was the human being who wrote down the book of Deuteronomy? Moses. Moses is the one who wrote the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Moses wrote this, and he wrote this like 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. He's writing these words, and in Deuteronomy chapter 23, look at verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. Look down in verse 23. 
that which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So he said, what you have vowed, you, you better keep that. That's what Jesus is saying. It was said of old, old time, 3,500 years before Moses spoke those words and recorded those words in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, uh, turn to Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And we'll look at a verse in Ecclesiastes. This is about 500 years after Moses wrote Deuteronomy, Solomon's writing. You say, well, when you look back in history and you're talking about thousands of years, 500 doesn't seem like that big a deal, does it? But, but just think, 500 years ago today, the people who planned the Spanish Armada and the British who defended and defeated the Spanish Armada hadn't even been born. 500 years ago today. So 500 years, a lot can change in the world in 500 years. Spain has not been a world power for a long time. 500 years ago they were. So 500 years later, in Deuteronomy, Moses wrote that, and now Solomon is addressing this same subject in his wisdom literature in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And verse 4. For you, I'm sorry, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So, back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is saying to, look, it was said of old time. We go all the way back to Moses, who wrote the beginning of Scripture and recorded it to us. And Moses said, hey, if you make a vow, you better follow through. And then we fast forward a couple hundred years and we get to Solomon. And Solomon says, hey, if you make a vow, you better pay it. And then we move forward still another uh, almost 2,000 years. And you get to Christ, or 1,000 years from Solomon. I got the timing mixed up. But anyway, you, you get to Christ, and Christ says, that's what's been said. But now, I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to raise the bar. And he says, don't make vows. Don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, uh, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, but yet your yes be yes and your no, no, whatever is more than this is sin. So, I, I have a question for you. Does this prohibit swearing an oath to serve your country in the military or to serve in law enforcement? Does this prohibit swearing an oath to tell the truth in court? Well, I'm going to, my answer is no, no, and no, and I'll tell you why. Okay? First of all, uh, as a Christian, I've done all three of those things. I swore an oath in the military. I swore an oath when I served as a chaplain in law enforcement. And I have had to be testify in court. And uh, the first time I did it, they made me put my hand on the Bible. And the second time they did it, there was no Bible there. But I had to swear that I was telling the truth. So as a Christian, did I sin against God doing those things? I don't believe so. Jesus was teaching what, uh, against what the Pharisees were doing. There was dialogue going on between Jesus and the Pharisees at some times. And the Pharisees had a practice of swearing non-binding oaths. So what they do is they'd say, Hey, I, I, I swear to you I will do that. And they wouldn't follow through. And then you'd come to him and you'd say, You swore to me you'd do that. And so they, if we put it in context of our church, they, I swear by Victory Baptist Church I would do that. And then they wouldn't follow through. And then you'd confront them. They'd say, oh, but I only swore by the church. I didn't swear by the platform of the church. Oh, I only swore by the platform of the church. I didn't swear by the pulpit of the church. Oh, I only swore by the pulpit of the church. I didn't swear by the piano of the church. They kept using excuses and excuses. And it's kind of the way people do today. They have lawyers design contracts 
that they try to put in a loophole. One of my jobs as a business manager was to read all of our contracts for all of our locations, uh, even overseas. Fortunately, I got an English version of them. Uh, and I would read those contracts and look for any possible loopholes and make sure that they didn't have any loophole in the thing because they can put it in legalese that can be very confusing and they do it on purpose. Now, how many of I've never seen the newer version, but the old version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory had this contract that was up on the wall. And it, as you went down, it got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and you couldn't read it. And that's what they try and do in contracts today to get out of their obligation. And see, remember, what was the old standard to make a deal? Handshake. When you gave your handshake or you gave your word, Jesus still has that standard for you. You give your word, you follow through. Now, I, anyway, I won't go in. If, there, if you promise to do something, be careful that, that you don't know what the future holds. And only God knows the future. So when Jesus, or when James was writing, he said, you say, I'm going to go to this city and buy stuff, and I'm going to go to that city, I'm going to sell it and get gain. And he said, don't make those promises. You don't know what the future holds. So you can make a promise to do your best to do something. But be careful when you make vows. Be careful when you enter into agreements. Jesus wanted them to stop that kind of oath. He wanted them to speak the truth. And his focus was on speaking the truth. So what's the difference between the oaths Jesus was talking about and the oaths that I mentioned this morning? Well, the Pharisees were swearing oaths as a tool to avoid the truth. The Pharisees had a ritual of deceit that Jesus despised. And it became... What The reason Jesus really hated it, it wasn't just their dishonesty and their deceit, but they took their political ambitions and their social ambitions and they wrapped it up in this pretty bow of religion and they pretended that they were religiously righteous when everyone knew they were cheating. And Jesus hated that in contrast to that type of oath. The oath that you take in court is simply the legal affirmation to do exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Tell the truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. He, Jesus said, let, let your speech be simply truthful, simply honest, completely integrity in its truthfulness. And that's what you're doing when you swear in court. You're swearing to do exactly what Jesus told you you have to do. Speak the truth. Also, when you swear an oath in military or law enforcement, it's a commitment to lay your life on the line for the sake of others. You're saying, I will defend our country. I will defend our people or our city in law enforcement. Uh, you are taking an oath to lay your life on the line for the sake of others, which is kind of what Jesus said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what you're doing when you take that military oath. On the front of your bulletin, there's a verse from Peter, 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our own sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So I believe that military oath is just doing exactly what the Lord said we would do. If we're filled with love and we want to serve, that's what we would do in the military law enforcement. So I don't think those violate Jesus' commandments here. If you disagree, then don't make those oaths. You answer in a good conscience toward God, and I answer in a good conscience toward God. But I think neither the oath in court nor the military law enforcement service oath are against Scripture. But in our day, 
we do have people that violate their vows, right? When you think of vows, what's one of the first things you think of? Marriage. marriage vows. Why? Well, normally in marriage, they ask the groom uh, to say to the bride, um, what is it? I will. <laughs> it ends with I do, right? Uh, right? And. Yeah, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, is sickness and in hell till death do us part or something like that. And the wife says, you know, I, Kathy, take thee, Terry, to be my lord and master. It's something like that, right? I, I don't quite remember exactly what it was, but I, I think I got it closed. <laughs> so we, we think of marriage vows, right? In our culture. How's our culture? How are the people in our community doing on marriage vows? Not very good. 50% or more of marriages end in divorce. And hey, that's the good news. The bad news is the other 50%, there's a significant number of people within those marriages still violating their vows. They just haven't broken up yet. And so um, what's another vow that people might have? They might enter into a business agreement and then abandon their agreement. They might sign a contract to buy a house. How many of you have heard of people who've walked away from houses? Huh. Um, now, if you're one of the people who did, there's a lot of reasons why people do. I don't want to hold it against you. Sometimes there are unscrupulous lenders who deliberately get people in a situation they can't follow through. And they have no choice but to possibly file bankruptcy or to let it go back to the bank. I understand that. But there are people who, they sign a lease agreement. And then they walk out on their lease. Even worse, we've, we've known landlords in our neighborhood. There was a house that had been a rental house. Ours had been a rental house for, I don't know, 11 years when we moved in. And 12 different families or something like that had lived in there. And then... There was one across the street that was a rental house. And two renters in a row who professed to be Christians, who got in a fight with the landlord when they moved out, poured concrete in the toilets. And so the landlord, two renters in a row, had to take out the toilets, tear up the flooring, redo the flooring, put new toilets in. And after the second person did that to him, he put the house up for sale. He said, I can't afford to be a landlord. So we know in our culture that happens. And sadly, even people who profess to be Christians do things like that. But we're not supposed to be that way. Jesus said, that's not what I want for you. And so Jesus said, we should develop the life pattern of speaking simple truth. Simply honest. Not using guile or deceit or compromising his truth in your life. Be truthful. The second standard that Jesus has is in verse 38. And before I read it, you need to understand what was going on in their culture. Uh, the Jews were not, they didn't have the freedom that we would enjoy here. What country was ruling over Israel? Well, the Roman government was. Uh, the, the Roman Empire. Israel was part of that. So when they collected taxes, the taxes went to Rome. When, and Rome was in charge and Rome was dominant. And Rome made some rules. How do you think most of the people in Israel felt about being under Roman rule? They didn't like it. Now, we live in part of the country that used to be under Mexico's rule. And uh, the East Coast was under British rule and Southern part was under French rule down in Florida. And so we had all these countries that had a piece of it and we saw independence and we gained independence. And, and uh, I'm glad that I live in the United States of America. But to illustrate what was going on in Israel, what if Canada invaded America and you and I had to pay taxes to the Canadian government that would then abuse American citizens. 
And we wouldn't like that at all. And so one of the things the Roman government said, the Roman soldiers were the authority in Israel. There was, they had Roman politicians too, but it was the soldiers who enforced it. And so the government made a rule, if a soldier tells you to, you have to carry his pack for a mile. No matter what. If you're in the middle of lunch, if you're on your way to lunch, if you're a young man having a date with a young woman, doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Soldier says, carry my pack. You have to carry it for a mile. Now, the average Jew knew exactly how many steps it took for him to get a mile. And they would walk a mile and sit it down. Now, that's the background to what Jesus is going to say here. Verse twenty or 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and turn the other to him also. That's hard. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, uh, verse 38, Jesus said, no paybacks at all. No paybacks. Uh, if I don't know if you've ever played sports, but one of the things that happens in sports is, uh, like in baseball, if somebody hurts the pitcher, what does the team, the rest of the team want to do? attack the other team. They still have brawls in baseball and in hockey. I used to go watch hockey games when I was a kid. That's a really boring game when there were no good fights. Uh, but that's not the way the Lord wants his people to do sports. So don't pay back. If, if you're in sports and somebody cheats on you, try and beat them without cheating. That's what the Lord wants. And so in verse 39... Uh, don't resist an evil person. If they slap you, turn the other cheek to them also. If they sue you, let them have more than they're asking. If they compel you to go a mile, go with them too. Now, I want you to notice something that I had never really noticed before. Jesus doesn't say, go with them indefinitely, does he? If they compel you to go a mile, that means by law, they demand you go a mile and you do. He didn't say, walk with them for as long as they want you there. He says, go to. He didn't say unlimited servitude, but he did say, you give abundantly. You give abundantly. So the second truth or area we're looking at here is being selfless. Selfless. Giving of yourself for the benefit of someone else. That doesn't feel American, does it? That's, that's not how our country runs. A lot of people say, well, it's dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. And the Lord says, if it is dog-eat-dog, -dog, you don't eat the dog. And if you've ever read what's in hot dogs, whoo, oh, anyway... Uh, no paybacks. Your job is not to make other people pay. Your job is to honor Christ in a selfless ministry where you willingly allow yourself to lose, not completely, but to lose some. So if you're in, they're filing a suit and you're going to lose part of it, you... You give up a little bit more. If they command you to go a mile, you, you give more. And you go double. To live in a selfless way so that you have a mindset of trying to make life better for other people, not for yourself. Now, this can radically change your marriage. 
This can radically change your work environment. I have worked really hard not to use myself as a positive illustration a lot, but let me just tell you, one time in Texas, I was working a construction job, and it was a short-term job. They knew it when I got the job. It was a temporary job, but I just worked really hard. All I did was try and work hard. I showed respect for the boss, and I worked hard. Most of the guys on our group didn't speak English. Uh, I spoke a little Spanglish. They spoke a little Spanglish. We got along. We worked together well, uh, and they all harassed me because they knew I was uh, a pastor, and it was a temporary job that I was working just to make ends meet for a little bit. And so they all called me uh, because I was the tallest one. So they called me El Pastor Grande. And, and you know, they, they just would harass me about that. But all I did was show up and work hard every day. And, and I, when the boss said something, I'd work hard. I didn't do anything special. When I was leaving, the boss told me, I hate to see you go. He said, the guys treat me better when you're on the job. The work gets done faster when you're on the job. All I did was my little job. I didn't do all the rest of the job. We had 40-some workers working on this site, and I did my little job. And so the way you do your little job can impact a lot more than you. You can serve and you can minister and, and there are Christian teachers in the public school, and they make a big difference where they teach. And there are Christians who serve in jobs, and they make a difference where they work. When you walk with God, you have an impact beyond you. So that the king said of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and of Daniel, that their commitment to God changed the kingdom and the laws of the kingdom. So you need to live in a selfless way. No paybacks, no retaliation. Never do the minimum. Never say, you know, I got to punch in at eight, punch out at five. Any of you ever work in an environment with time clocks? What happens at five o'clock? Where are people gathering? <laughs> Around the time clock. What are they supposed to be doing? Working till five. But they gather around the time clock. Punch, 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 punch. I've seen in the morning, we used to have, our time clock was outside when I was a business manager. Uh, and part of the, anyway, people would gather and they would have their last cup of coffee and smoke there and they'd just hang out by the time clock, punch in and then walk into work. Were they ready to work as soon as they punched in? Not even close. Most of them, when they first walked into the door, headed to the bathroom. And we were good if we got them to work on the floor 15 minutes after they punched in. So don't do that. Never do the minimum. Never. So you homeschooled kids, when your parents ask for a three-page paper, how many pages should you do? Six, at least six, right? <laughs> Compel you to go a mile? Do double. <laughs> okay I want you to look again at verse 42 and then we're going to look at another passage of scripture give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away now I want you to turn to Second Thessalonians um, in the New Testament Second Thessalonians and this is Paul's instruction to the church um, and, and it's an issue that has cropped up in, in our culture. It's probably been in every culture of the world. But there are people who do not want to work and that they expect you to pay for them. Uh, in the ideal socialist state, everybody who works contributes in and then everybody who works or does not work gets paid back. From that, And I didn't say that's a good thing. I just said that's the ideal socialist state so that everybody benefits no matter who does the work. And I actually believe that's not a biblical pattern because uh, of part, in part of this verse, these verses that we're going to read. So uh, when he's talking in Matthew about saying, uh, give to whoever asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Uh, there are times when you are not supposed to give to people. 
And we have to balance what the scripture says in any one place with what it says everywhere. It's called context. We have to have the context of what the Bible says on that subject. Jesus was dealing specifically with the rituals and that of the Pharisees. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort to our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So parents, you need to have your kids do chores. That's part of learning. They're paying. You don't have to say, all right, if you work for seven hours, I'll feed you supper. Uh, okay, and don't don't get extreme, but but do have them do chores, have them work. The Bible says, if a man's not working, he shouldn't eat. So what about a man who's disabled? Okay, he should do what he can do. And we're never supposed to be takers. We're supposed to be givers. He doesn't want believers to be the ones who say, I can't do anything. You have to give to me. The Bible even describes people who are so lazy, they can't lift the food to their own mouth. They want you to put it in their mouth for them. I don't know about you, but it would really freak me out if somebody tried to feed me. Uh, So I, I don't understand not working. I love working. God made us to work. At the beginning of creation in the perfect world, the perfect man, the perfect woman, no problems, no sin, no... And the Lord said, work in the garden. Till it and labor and toil and what a blessing. The curse did not make us work. The curse made work more painful, more difficult, more sweat-inducing. But we're supposed to work. So let's go back to Matthew. And in Matthew chapter... 5 and verse 42, I don't believe Jesus is addressing the subject of homeless people or or people who don't want to work at all when they could work. He's addressing a subject that was very significant to some Jewish people. Some of those Jewish people in his day, they worshipped money. And so they wanted to get, get, get. And Jesus is telling them, you need to be givers. We see that throughout Scripture. Jesus wants his followers to be givers, to help meet needs. I shared this before. When we were kids, my brother really (laughs) amazed me. We were standing at line at the... uh, ice cream truck. And this little girl called all of her friends up, said, I'm buying. And her friends, yay. And there's a bunch of little kids. And this little girl slaps her money down on the counter and it's just change. There's not much there. And she orders ice cream for all of her friends. And the guy starts to say to the girl, that won't even come close. My brother was in line behind this girl. And he said to the guy, I'll cover it. And he paid for it. And then he went over to the mother and told her so that She could encourage the little girl not to try that again sometime. (laughs) But, you know, be generous. You be the one that helps. You be the one that steps in. Uh, I was in line somewhere recently, and a lady was buying something, and and her card didn't work. And she felt really frustrated. She put it, and her other card didn't work either. I don't know why. Could have been a snafu at the bank. We've had suffered from that. It could have been overdrawn. I don't know. But what she was buying wasn't really much. And I told the clerk, I said, just add that to mine. And and then the ladies, she was all embarrassed. No, I don't need that. I said, look, I'm, I'm already paying for it. Just please take it as a gift. I follow Jesus and take this as a gift from Jesus. And then let it go. Uh, not a big deal. It was not like she was, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it if she was overcharged buying vodka. 
I probably wouldn't have done it if she was buying something that was a couple hundred dollars, but it was just a couple bucks. And so you you be characterized as generous. You be the one that gives a little extra of your time. You be selfless. Instead of focusing on yourself, what can I get? What can I get? How can I get better than this person? How can I move up in the political and social realm? How can I get more, more, more? You know, that old saying, get what you can, can what you get, sit on the can, right? Now, don't be that. You be the generous one. Let it overflow. You be helpful and ministering and caring. Some of you really never heard that before, huh? <laughs> All right. So the, Jesus had two things we've looked at. Truthful, selfless. Let's look at this third one. It's called being open hearted. Open-hearted. Now, this picture is a key to a heart. And what you need to do is use your own key and open your own heart to other people. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Hey, that's a good thing, don't you think? How many of you have a neighbor? Yeah. Don't you wish your neighbor loved you? Yeah, you, you should love your neighbor. That's a good thing, right? But he says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the rabbi said. That's not what the Word of God said. The Word of God said, love your neighbor. The rabbi said, it's okay to hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. So they loved their fellow Israeli citizens, but they hated the Romans and anybody else. But Verse 44, but I say to you, listen to what he says. Love your what? What is an enemy? An enemy is someone who wants to hurt you. An enemy is someone who acts toward you in a way that would be harmful and hurtful to you. Love your enemies. Love those who are acting aggressively toward you, toward those who are unkind, toward those who are causing pain in your life. You Show love to them. Kind of hard, isn't it? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son... S-U-N, to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Show his love. Share his truth with everyone. Everyone. So if there's a person at work who's made your life miserable, your goal should be try and make their life better. If in your neighborhood somebody keeps leaving trash that gets into your yard, I... Benj and Meredith live across from a school and kids walk by and it's on a corner and there's always trash in their yard. So Benjamin sits out there with a BB gun. <laughs> That's not what God wants you to do. Just, just clarify. Okay? Just pick it up and throw it away. Just you be the one that does extra to help other people. Now, Jesus uses tax collectors as an illustration. Why? Because they're evil. No. no. See, we, we live in a different world than Jesus did. Same earth, but it's a different time, a different age, a different culture. There was nothing like America in that day. There had never been a free country like we have that had never existed. So the Pharisees and most of the Jews despised the tax collectors because the tax collectors were paying the Romans and getting rich because they'd sometimes take a little extra. 
in our day that the government can't take more. We actually have courts that we can go to when we have issues with the tax, and we think the uh, tax collectors, the IRS, is taking too much. Now, we can't prohibit the tax rates, but if, if they say, oh, you know, owe another $5,000, we can go to court and have the court say, no, you don't. Uh, but they didn't have that. And so the tax collectors often got rich taking from people. And Roman was the occupying force. They were the enemy. And so the tax collectors were the ones not just aiding and abetting the enemy, but financing the enemy. They were making it possible for Rome to stay there. And so it's different. In our country, there are those who work as tax collectors federally and state and city and county and, and all that. And, you know, they're paying for public works like roads. How many of you drove here on a road? Government helped pay for that. Maybe they need to do a better job of fixing it. But how, they, libraries, schools, emergency services, fire and police departments, even animal control. These, these are coordinated through our taxes given to our governments. There are good things our government's doing. There's some things I really disagree with what the government's doing, but there's some good things the government is doing. And you may not like how the government uses all of your tax money. In fact, if you are thrilled with the way they use your tax money, you're maybe not really aware of what's going on. I don't know. But I certainly don't. So what should you do? Um, if you read history or you look in cultures outside of the U.S., you look at cultures in history and today that do not have a functioning government, what do you see? Chaos, anarchy, death, destruction. You, you do not see the freedom and joy that we have. So, Jesus is not saying tax collectors are evil. What he was saying, see, the Pharisees thought tax collectors were evil. And the main problem the Pharisees had with tax collectors is the Pharisees wanted to keep the money. They didn't want to pay anything. They wanted the money, and the tax collectors got to take it. And so the Pharisees looked down on tax collectors. Remember the Pharisee who was praying Jesus told the story of a Pharisee who was praying, and he went and he's praying to God, Father, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, even like that, that tax collector over there. I'm not a sinner like that. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, if you only show love to your group, you're acting just like a tax collector. That, the tax collectors do that. And Jesus is saying to his followers, I'm raising the bar. You have to open your heart and show your love to everyone I bring into your life. From the tax collectors to the Pharisees and everyone in between. He was contradicting the teaching of the Pharisees. They prided themselves being above the tax collectors. And Jesus turned the mirror on them and said, look, you're acting just like them. So in verse 48, it's a challenge to have perfect, complete life, having integrity, fully integrated. As you, therefore, you shall be perfect or complete just as your Father in heaven is perfect and complete. Having integrity, the condition of being unified, unimpaired, sound in construction, not being compartmentalized. So, Jesus in grace has raised the bar. He's raised the standard of grace. And, and he says, in grace and community, you live differently because his grace is flowing through you. So let your private life of faith in Christ overflow in a public life that blesses everybody around you. Be a man, be a woman of faith and faithfulness in your church, in your home, on the job, in your community. Let God's grace flow out. 
In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. He leadeth me. Before we do that, I want you to just talk to God. And I want you to ask God, is there an area in my life where I'm not being as truthful as I should? Is there an area in my life where I'm not being selfless, selfless, like you want me to? Is there an area of my life where I'm not being loving like I should be? Am I giving, sharing, loving, caring? Just ask the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I challenge you to do that today. Ask Him to forgive your sins and be your Savior. You need that. The Bible says you are on your way to hell. But if you trust Christ, you get to be on your way to heaven. We'd love to show you how to do that from the Word of God. You could come forward as we sing. You could ask someone to show you, and we could show you. Maybe you've never been baptized like Jesus was, and you could say, I want to be baptized. Maybe you've, you've never made certain changes in your life the Lord wants to make. Maybe you need somebody to help you, to help you be accountable. So is, I, I really would like somebody to ask me, call me every day and ask me how I'm doing on this. Maybe you need help understanding how to make it work in your life. You've got a situation you're overwhelmed with. You need help. Right now, you just deal with your relationship with God. And then if you need help in other areas of your relationship, we love to help you. Father, we thank you for your truth and your word. We thank you for those few times when we've lived really well as an example for you. We ask your forgiveness for those times when we have not. We pray that we would see the world with different eyes just because we spent time looking in your word and listening to your spirit. That we would walk out this door realizing we truly are missionaries to our community to share your truth, to show your love. Lord, don't let today just be a day we came to church. Let it be a day we affirmed our relationship with you we recommitted to doing certain things to give honor and glory to you and to minister to others. In Jesus' name, amen.